Hello, and welcome back to Empires of the Future. Uh, it's good to be here with you all here the last day of January. Uh, it's pretty exciting, pretty wild that 2024 month number one is already down. Uh, how does that make you feel, Jackson? Um, I've noticed the last few years, even when you're trying to plan a lot, that January still can get away from you. I feel a little better about it this year just mm-hmm. because um, I've been able to anticipate it a little better it is still overwhelming to think one twelfth of this year is gone. Um, but I, I feel good about it from that standpoint. And then the other good thing we have right now is the crazy cold we had a couple of weeks ago has given way to monsoon season. Yeah. Uh, where we, I mean, it rained, it felt like for about six days straight. Um, and now we have pretty decent weather, you know, so it's given me these hints of like, hey, we could be back outside running early in the morning within a few weeks if we're feeling pretty bold and it doesn't feel too bad to be out right now. Uh, so I'm feeling good about that. Yeah. Which, which actually brings up the question. Here it is the end of the first month. Are you still on the workout plan? I am. Yeah, I am. Nice. Yeah. Even, uh, so yesterday was leg day. I did only leg exercises yesterday. It's the first time I've done that. And that was pretty hard. What'd you do? Squats, squats and lunges, lunges. Oh man. That's what you did. All legs. Yeah, so uh, the other really fun thing about my week this week is I had surgery on Monday to clear my right tear duct, yeah. and uh, so that put me down a little bit on Monday, and uh, mm-hmm. and uh, exploring what light duty means um, meant that I didn't, I wanted to do exercises that were as far away from my face <laughs> as possible, <laughs> and exercises where like push-ups, you know, you have to get down, and then there's more pressure on your face. I don't want, I don't want any of that right now, Yeah, um, but it felt totally you. fine to do that yesterday and so i'm back well good yeah so jackson you just had surgery two days ago that's right and here you are now back at work even recording a podcast with me man you're like you're a superhero and i'm not on hydrocodone anymore or anything (laughs) so it's very good that's good that would make for a more fun podcast probably it might yeah get you on some drugs uh, isn't that what makes uh, Joe Rogan's podcast always so enjoyable? Don't they like <laughs> you do know, drugs while they're on? The I, I think it wasn't that way at first, but um, <laughs> it seems to be more the case. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, not on this podcast. We don't do drugs. We say no to drugs, and we say no to club sports for kids. <laughs> no, not really. Uh, but that that is what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about um, an article written actually earlier this month. Came out January fourth, um, and it's written by. The author of the article, who also is sort of the interviewer of the person talked about in the article, uh, is Sarah Ekoff uh, Zilstra. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly. Yeah. This is an article that came from the Gospel Coalition. Uh, it's featured on their website. Um, and in the article, Sarah, uh, she interviews a fellow by the name of Ross Doma. Uh, that's D-O-U-M-A. And Ross Doma is the athletic director at Dort University. And the conversation that they have, and so the article is really both of them because a lot of it really is just her engaging with him and and uh, kind of documenting what his answers are. It's an interview style article is what it is. Yeah. And uh, the topic of conversation is on kids' sports. And specifically, uh, it's about why this, this man, Ross Doma, decided to pull their children from club sports. Um, just to give a little bit of sort of a helpful note for people who are like me and maybe didn't know what exactly club sports means. I hear club sports and I, I think like high school athletics, but it's actually not. It's yeah. actually a different thing. 
so, and I think probably the easiest way for us to get into this, um, we've probably referenced our sort of educational background a little bit in the past, but we should each give a short kind of uh, history for each of us of um, what sports, how organized uh, we were in, in our play of these sports. Um, uh, for instance, because I think club sports is a little bit of a vague term. Um what what when I look back, what I would call my first experience in club sports, I was in uh, Kiwanis Kitty League, uh, baseball leagues as a kid, um, and uh, I was in two of those. Uh, they put me in right field. I was real bad. Um, I didn't know I was real bad, <laughs> um, but I was very small and uh, not particularly great at throwing or catching the ball. Um, and so I was, it was probably, you know, like second and third grade that I did this. And I had, I grew up with my cousins and uh, my cousin Brad in particular was very good at baseball. Uh, and so I mostly did it cause it was like, this is what kids are doing, including the kids who are my peers and that I'm closest to. So we're going to do it. And I remember the first year I was like, okay, I guess this is what this is. The second year I did it mostly because I had done it the first year and pretty much through the second year, I figured like, this is not my thing. I'm not excelling at this. They're not, you know, knocking down my door going like, we got to have you back. <laughs> um, and so that was my first experience. And other than that, I enjoyed PE. I had a simple small town experience though, because there was not too much of an expectation of organized sports up until um, junior high. And I, I went to junior high, I did not go to middle school. So I was seventh and eighth grade. Seventh grade was the first time I ever really tried out uh, for uh, a sports team. Um, my elementary school had sports teams that basically everybody made it. And so I was very surprised to not make the basketball team in seventh oh, grade. No. <laughs> um, yeah. Had no idea it was coming, but man, was it coming. And so then I didn't make the basketball team. I did uh, end up in, in junior high running track um, and had a good experience in that. Um, and then going on in, in high school, I did uh, cross country and wrestling and track all four years. And beyond that, uh, I did no intramurals in college. Nothing, I mean, as much of all these ideas you kick around about like, oh, what if I ran in college? What if I wrestled in college? Maybe I'll just walk on. All the things everybody says to each other. Mm -hmm. I didn't do any of that. And when I found out what is involved in, in sports at the college level, even you can join an intramural team at a college and they're like, all right, we're going to have, you know, two a day practices yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. It's like, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to yeah. do that. I'm barely studying for my classes. <laughs> so I'm definitely not going to get up, you know, I mean, so, uh, so that's my background, uh, in this, uh, yeah. and yours is different. Mine is different. Yeah. So I was homeschooled, which automatically makes it a little bit different. Um, not impossible to get involved in sports, but certainly more difficult. Um, at a younger age, I, baseball was my sport. Yeah. I started playing baseball whenever I was, uh, well, I don't know. I mean, very young. I started actually, I think on a t-ball, but I don't remember that. I only remember starting on a pitching machine. Um, but then, uh, I remember moving to live pitch, uh, and then getting to pitch. I actually was a pitcher a lot of the, uh, sort of my later years of, of play. So I played baseball, but not through, not through my school because I was homeschooled. Um, but I played in a, in sort of local, I think they're called clubs. Um, so I guess it, it technically was a, a form of club sport, uh, but I wasn't doing um, school athletics in addition to it. 
but it was, I would play for a couple different, there was a booster club, what they call a booster club. I don't know what that is, but that's what it, what I played for sure. German township booster club and then played for uh, St. Joe Catholic school and parish um, here in the area. And then I, I really stopped playing once I got up to high school age. Um, not because I didn't enjoy playing, um, but because it became a lot more difficult at that time. It, it's gotten easier since, but at that time it was very difficult to get plugged into a high school sports team whenever you're homeschooled. I'm not yep. saying it was impossible, but it was, was harder. Yep. It wasn't long after I sort of, sort of gave it up that it, they did make it much more accessible for homeschoolers, uh, which is great. And I'm thankful they did that. Uh, and, but I'm also not bitter about the fact that I didn't get to play because for me, my, my form of, of an, an interest in athletics shifted from, okay, I don't have a team that's organizing this for me where I come and practice and, and we have organized games and things like that. I'm going to have to find other ways. And so uh, it, it meant for me a couple things. One, I started playing more sports, which was great because as much as I loved baseball, I also discovered that I had a really, um, I had a fondness for basketball, um, football. I was never very good at, but I loved throwing it around and I don't know, it was an opportunity to run right. and so I was always happy to do it, run and catch things and stuff like that. So, uh, so for me, my avenue then after about 13 years old shifted to, uh, playing with friends. So I had a, a group of friends that, um, I began playing basketball with and, uh, and here at first Southern Baptist church, there was a group of us that, man, we just loved getting together and playing sports. So we would, we would get together, we'd play football, we'd play Basketball all the time. That was our yeah. our favorite. But even beyond that, we would play things like volleyball uh, in the racquetball room here at the church. We'd play um, flicker ball, all sorts of things. But but what really became dominant for me was um, high school, then even into college, was playing two sports in particular, basketball and softball. Mm-hmm. Uh, loved playing basketball with friends, and we would just get together all the time here at the church and play. Um, and then softball similarly, but also we would play it in the church league. So, so I shifted, I guess, from, from, um, a a young middle schooler playing in baseball, uh, pretty much exclusively to then playing in church leagues, rec leagues, things like that. So yeah, that was sort of my thing. And then when I got to college, I did play some intramurals. Uh, thankfully I was always on teams of like-minded people. So we were not practicing, uh, really at all. I mean, maybe every now and then, but. You did uh, ultimate frisbee intramural, didn't you? No. No, did Eddie do that? You didn't. Yeah, do that? and actually, uh, I, I don't think they had ultimate intramural. That was a club team. Okay. So they would play against other schools, but it wasn't like um, school funded, yeah. right? So it was all just you're paying for your own team, paying your own way. I mean, the school would help. I don't know. As a, a club, you would be a club on campus, so the school right. would help give a little bit of support to it, but not like an actual athletic program. But no, I, I wasn't that good at that. <laughs> so what did you do in intramural sports at USI? I played intramural basketball, especially, but also yeah. um, a couple of years I played football. Yeah. And one year. So wait, like flag football? Sp- yep. Okay, good. Yep. And softball. Yeah. Um, that was it. I think that's all the intramural leagues I played, just basketball, softball, football. But it was nice because they had them split up. They were different times of the year. So you right. weren't sucking up every night of the week going to play in these games. Um, I didn't live on campus. I lived off campus. So I wasn't, I wasn't going to be driving out there three and four times right. a week at night to play. So we'd play like two games a, a week. It lasted for about, I don't know, four, six weeks for a league. So right. pretty short. You know, and um, what's 
really interesting about all this too, what this article made me think about in terms of, um, I mean, when things we're going to be exploring today, uh, what are the hopes of people who get their kids involved in club sports? Why has it grown uh, the way that it has? Um, but it, it makes me think about many of the experiences that my friends had, because while I did not go on to uh, do official uh, sponsored sports or intramural sports in college, even from the time I was in college, uh, one of my best friends had a scholarship, full ride scholarship for baseball to Murray State. And I, while I did not go to Murray State University, I was at Murray State University just about every other week during my college <laughs> experience. Uh, and then the other thing about that is that my college that I ended up graduating from was uh, Mid-Continent College, then University, which is Mayfield, Kentucky, 35, 40 minutes from Murray State University. Mm. And so Western Kentucky is where my college experience centered. Um and both at uh, junior college where I went, which is Southeastern Illinois College, I went for a semester at SIU Carbondale, and then my experience at Midcontinent as well, I'd have friends who were involved in college athletics and seeing what that, you know, life was like. Everything, it's almost like everything that you experience in high school is blown up in college. Yeah. Um, and certainly that, that was the case in terms of that life. And, um, so we want to be fairly far reaching, but about a very isolated, like a specific issue mm -hmm. today. And that is like, okay, uh, what are club sports and what, what is the hoped or the, or the planned for benefit of these? Yeah. Um, what role have they come to fill, especially in Christian parents? Um, this is something that the church has jumped on board with. It is, it is, uh, I would really call it new from a standpoint of when I was playing Kiwanis Kitty League Baseball, not a soul there was going. Literally, I'm not joking. There's nobody there who was going, you know, this could lead to a scholarship one day. <laughs> it was, yeah, kids kids should play baseball if they want because it's kind of fun for kids. Yeah. But literally then, when I stopped playing baseball the second year, people were like, okay, if it wasn't fun for you, then go do something else because you're a kid. Yeah. And being a kid yeah. is about experiencing things and trying stuff out and having fun. Yeah. Yeah. And so he does get into it. So we're going to look at it in a couple different, he breaks it down. And I, I consider it to be in a couple sections first, starting out with like why club sports, what the purpose of it is. And then he gets into actually some of the sort of spiritual aspects, pitfalls. Um, so he's especially writing to Christian parents, I think, especially that comes through the article. Um, as far as what are some of the the negatives of of club sports, and then from there into even on a um, not even just a spiritual level, but just on, on a practical level, is this actually worth it? Club sports, uh, and so let's start by by talking about what club sports are. So as we said, it's different from from high school or middle school athletics, like what would be and you involved be involved with in your school. It goes above and beyond that. So club sports is an is a more focused. Uh, a more uh, seems to be intensified um, means of developing athletes uh, beyond just what what the school is going to provide. And so, uh, so if you notice that a child is maybe particularly has a love of of soccer, for example, uh, club sports could be a means for you to say, uh, "I'm gonna gonna put my child in club sports, which uh, is going to help develop them as a player. It's going to get them out on the field more." And what oftentimes, as, as uh, Ross Doma kind of puts forward, is that parents have in mind that this could also potentially lead to opportunity in the future. That perhaps uh, through this 
avenue of, of sports and particularly using club sports to develop them and develop skills early and fast and, and everything that they can have a better chance at not only getting into a college or university, but getting a scholarship uh, and, and, and even potentially sometimes beyond that uh, up to the professional level. And so that's sort of some of the motivation that parents have. And sometimes it's good, right? I think if a, if a parent sees a child has a particular love for a sport, uh, their, their motivations might be, Hey, my kid wants to be in these club sports because they want to play more. Um, maybe my, my child wants to go to college for this. Um, I'm going to help make that happen. But what the author is making the point is that oftentimes, uh, as he calls it, he says that uh, this is running a, a great race to nowhere, he says. Um, because what can oftentimes happen with club sports where the, the level of involvement and commitment um, and activity is, is grossly intensified. Yeah. You go from ha- having practices once or twice a week and at one game a week at school to having four to five practices a week, yeah. two to three games every week, sometimes taking up whole, whole weekends with yeah. games and tournaments and things like, things like that. Actually, oftentimes that, that's what yeah. happens. And what he argues is that what that really can, can lead to is lots of things, but rarely does it actually lead to scholarships, um, a better college performer, uh, and these kinds of things. Um, and he talks about some of the pitfalls they ran into and why, as he's speaking from a personal experience, he and his wife pulled their kids from club sports. And, and ultimately, it came down to a few things. One, they were, they were spending tons and tons of money, uh, but not only tons and tons of money, tons and tons of time uh, spending all of their evenings at practices and gyms. Uh, every weekend, they were going to a different place and playing at different tournaments and different things like that. Um, it really sort of began to, they noticed, consumed their life um, to the point that it was no longer worth whatever benefits they were getting. Actually, this is what he says, quote, the benefits were not outweighing the things that that we were making life, excuse me, he says the benefits were not outweighing the things that were making life challenging for us. He said, our son was improving his skills to a degree, but we were compromising family time, schoolwork, and sometimes church activities. We said to ourselves, this is not how we want to raise our children. And so they quit. And as he goes on to say, they didn't have any regrets. They're, they're thankful that they made that decision because of the effect that it was having on their family. So this is point number one, is the effect that, that club sports has on a family. Right. And uh, he is in a very unique position. I mean, this is uh, a very useful article for you and I personally. You and I, our children, are actually pretty close in age. Uh, you have two girls and the—I'm sorry, you have two boys and then a girl, and I have two boys and then a girl. Um, my— uh, I'm just about uh, generally two years ahead of you. Uh, and so we are having this time. I've already had it with Cooper where we've kind of asked him, hey, there's this opportunity to play soccer on a, a team. It's not a serious team. And and he kind of said, I don't know. I think I don't, I'm not that excited about it right now. We kind of said, you know what, that's fine then. And so we're right on the cusp of just letting him try some of these things. And um, so we have these opportunities that are coming for us as as what has happened with this from the beginning is it is an opportunity that was opened up to parents and they took it. And, and you could, the, the period I'm talking about now is sort of like late nineties through the two thousands where it's sort of a new thing and people are going, Oh, you know, people might've been thinking, 
you know, I played baseball in high school, but man, if I had started playing baseball when I was seven or 10, how much better would I have been? Um, and we, we can all be forgiven that often the only point of reference you have to judge something is yourself and your own experience. Sometimes you have no experience with something, so you don't even know. But, um, that, uh, has got us to where this is huge now. Um, there is a lot to this. And so we've, you've already pointed to the fact that parents can be in a five day a week schedule Mm -hmm. very quickly before they know it. But there are, um, this is big business at this point. Yeah. Uh, so, for instance, uh, some of the facts from this article, uh, from 2010 to 2017, the youth sports market grew by 55%. Um, so that's from 2010 to 2017. That's an era, we've now had an era from 2017 through COVID now to 2024. And um, you could think of that era as it got really big until 2020 when it cut off altogether and then probably kicked back up in 2022 or so. And then probably is now back, I would guess, um, somewhere around where it was. That's just a guess that I'll throw out there. Um, but in terms of uh, money spent, it is now a nearly $20 billion market. Mm-hmm. And brace yourself for this, <laughs> even larger than the NFL and that's hard for us to get our minds around yeah. and probably will be hard for us to keep that in our minds given that we're about to see yet another Super Bowl where millions and millions of dollars are dropped every minute on advertising and these sorts of things. But um, there are a lot of children uh, in this country and uh, selling them gear, charging money to put them in leagues, to have coaches for them. This looks just Every bit of it takes money. Renting yeah. a space for them to play soccer. Anybody who's ever tried to keep up a baseball field knows that they don't keep themselves up. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's just a lot that that is involved with this. Um, and club sports, which he describes here, and, and he says, which are more competitive and expensive than recreation leagues or school sports, typically start in early elementary school. Um, and so um, I don't have an answer exactly why they are more expensive than rec leagues or school sports. Could you, do you have any idea? Um, not really. I, I would, I would think given the, the fact that it has become an industry, the only guess I would have is that, uh, there's maybe more, um, rec leagues and school sports. Well, I mean, the school sports, a lot of it's government funded, right? Um, through the school system. Right. So, well, so that would yeah. probably have an effect on that, but with a club league versus like a rec league, you're going to have maybe more qualified coaches, trainers, um, things like that versus a rec league where you're not going to have that kind of stuff. The facilities are probably going to be better. I wonder if it's sort of a similar to the comparison of uh, private versus public as I think well. So. Because, I mean, you're yeah. basically saying, no, we're going to have all the cost up front so that you could be guaranteed yeah. your kid gets a new jersey and a good basketball. And like you're saying, a whereas, I mean, look, one thing about it is schools are older in terms of an institution than this. And as a result, um, you know, look, I, I used jerseys and things that were passed down and, <laughs> and, and a lot of this stuff, well, yeah, because we're going to keep the costs down, but a lot of this stuff is assumed if you're going to join a club sport that you can pay yeah. to be involved in it. And right. so you're going to, your kid's going to have his own Jersey His you buy your own cleats or whatever is involved. And, um, and then all the rental costs is up front. Like, look, you're going to play this nine games, 
we all, we pay a referee and um, yeah. okay. So that, that makes some yeah. sense out of that. There seem to be with club sports, there seem to be promises made in the exchange for, um, for money provided. That is not the case with like rec leagues with rec leagues. Cause I think that's, there has to be something to distinguish between a club league and a recreation league. A rec league says, says the only thing we're going to promise with you is the opportunity to have a good time. Sure. Right. Uh, club sports seem to be offering more than that and saying, no, no, no. If you want your child to become the best, uh, this is the avenue to that and, and to start it early, uh, which I think that alone says, okay, well, these are two different things and therefore I have to understand the difference of what I'm putting my money towards. And I think many times people do. And again, it's not really me saying that. It's Ross Doma, uh, who, who works for, for Dort University in their athletic department. People seem to be um, viewing that as an investment. Yeah. I'm investing money into my child's future by putting them into club sports. Yeah. Club sports then is, is I think, seems to be promising to provide what is necessary to nurture a player into a great player. Right. And he has a very good vantage point, um, a unique vantage point as a person who is both a parent, but who's also an athletic director at a college. Yeah. Um, and who then, I mean, athletic directors, they are looking for kids who have the heart to excel in sports at the college level. And, and that's one of the places where we want to get to, obviously, uh, in general, in this podcast, we want to get to the heart level. Um, but I think in this, in regard to this club sports issue, it is a blind spot of club sports that, okay, but how do you introduce someone to a sport and ensure that they don't get burnt out on it, that it serves the right place in their life? Mm-hmm. And, and that is being overshadowed in part because, yes, there is a hope. I mean, one of the fears that's driven uh, American parents without a doubt, for the last, say, 50 years is, I'm scared, I've, I've had many parents express this to me in youth ministry, I'm scared that my child will grow up and not be able to get a decent job, so therefore, I know they have to go to college, and I know it's expensive, but all I tell them is, yeah, but either A, I didn't go to college, and you should, so I hope it pays off somehow, or B, just go to college and work it out. And there's a lot in there. We have other episodes that are all about not assuming too much about mm-hmm. college. In specific, I mean, one, one thing I can point to just to, that if that's not something you've thought about very much, you need to go and think about the difference between a college education and a work ethic. Mm-hmm. Um, they are not the same thing. And nothing that we are doing in, in American society ensures that someone who has a college degree also has a work ethic that they can then transfer into a job. Right. I listened carefully to all the things that I just said. It yeah. does take a certain amount of work ethic to complete college, depending on the program you completed. There is no guarantee that that is going to transfer into a job. And it's a whole nother skill set to, to then go find a job. But yep. then what we are doing in this is this is, this has come in and kind of filled a need or a fear even in some people's, some parents' lives and that fear was, oh, if my child did have certain athletic ability that got them a baseball scholarship or a swimming scholarship or a polo scholarship, I mean, goodness, the number of scholarships that exist in this country, okay, well then that would defer or that would take care of some of that uh, cost associated with, associated with college, you know, and they'd also have a group of friends. This would be great for them. 
And so then this club sport comes in when they're seven, eight, nine, ten years old. And then there's this hope that, oh, they'll come into it, they'll excel at it, and that'll carry all the way to college. The first thing that Ross uh, Duma is saying is, um, no, typically what happens is they may really get into that sport around year two, and then by year three, they're burnt out on it. Mm -hmm. And that is the typical experience. And, and that's just a really important first marker to say about this, that that is the typical experience of a young person involved in club sports, yep. that whether a parent might want to admit it or not, by year two or year three, they're often burnt out. And you can, there are signs when someone is burnt, when a child is burnt out on something. Yep, that's exactly right. I'll just read a couple quotes from him. Um, so this is this is getting right into, we'll, we'll come back to the spiritual kind of near the end. I want to get back to that. But this is getting right into the practical aspect of it. That This is what he says. Again, quote, I'm very passionate about youth sports. And and we can see that by the fact that he works at a university in athletic department. Like right. that's That helps, I think, with his credibility. Mm-hmm. This isn't, <clears throat> uh, as a pastor, you and I both, I think, can relate to this age-old, maybe it's not age-old, it's a, our current age-old dilemma of the idolization of Sure. of athletics and sports. And yep. it's one thing for us as pastors to say, Hey, choose corporate worship over athletics. Like yep. don't let Sunday be taken over by these things. Yep. That's one thing, but this is an athletic director to university now saying, Hey, um, this is a problem. And here, here's what he says. He says, I'm very passionate about youth sports. I believe they play a significant role in the development of young children. And I know young parents mean well and want to serve their children, but this is a path that doesn't end well. A lot of times there is burnout, overuse injuries, and no substantial scholarship at the end. And this is where he says, you're ultimately running a great race to nowhere. These are sort of, these are his words, not mine, his observations. This is from someone who gets a front row view that, that the promises that are oftentimes made and believed by parents with club sports is that at the end of this road, man, that really stinks now are... Our lives are completely overrun and consumed by this sports schedule. Uh, Our money is being invested here, but all of it will be worth it in the end because it will result in this. And he says, nope, what it's most likely to to result in is burnout, injuries, um, and and oftentimes not actually a scholarship. And and that second one, um, to read in this article about what are called overuse injuries, um, they're talking about how... Kids are coming in with a certain kind of elbow surgery that they need to have that used to only come out of major league baseball players, if not people who played for years in college because um, it it stresses certain tendons right. by throwing like a pitcher. And kids are coming in at 14 and 15 with overuse injuries because here's one thing that, that I want to point out about this. And this is a good um, – we did – our previous podcast was about hobbies – and um, this is a good counterpart to that because, look, one thing that I want to say about any kind of active hobby that I fully accept is certain amount of injury is to be expected. Oh, sure. But overuse injury is related to lack of wisdom. And an yeah. overuse injury is when your body starts telling you this is this is overstress. You are mm-hmm. you are using something beyond its capacity. Look, if you're not in the Marines, I mean, if you if you don't have a mission that is well above and beyond what is this every day, then you need to be rethinking what you're doing to your body in that instance. Right. And uh, and so to think of 
a 15 year old who is having to have a, a, an elbow surgery because of overuse, um, means we are, we are on the wrong track. And, and, and I say that because there is a definite line when you become an athlete, you know, the difference between I reacted on a play and ended up twisting my ankle and going home that night and going, you know, this started hurting last week. It was still hurting all week during practice. I told my coach about it. He said I should probably get it checked out. You know the difference between an accidental injury and an overuse injury. And they're being ignored in this. Yeah. And that's a telltale sign of a problem here. Right. He says this. So the, the injury or the surgery you were talking about earlier is called Tommy John surgery. It's named after a famous pitcher, um, Tommy John, who, I mean, I don't know the whole story of him, but I know that the sur- surgery is common among pitchers yeah. um, from, from throwing really hard over and over and over again, over usage, uh, and it's a common surgery among pitchers. But this is what he says. He says, uh, if kids play sports too early, too often, it become, can become harmful physically, emotionally, and spiritually. He said, for example... We're now seeing more Tommy John surgeries among little leaguers than among professionals. ACL surgeries are also up, as are stress fractures and all types of worn-out joints. So, he, hear this when I say, this is a surgery, Tommy John surgery, that used to be sort of just almost exclusively found among um, among baseball players, and tennis players were prone to it as well, kind of a similar motion. Um, and he says... Now, not only is it something to hear about someone on a DL list for an MLB team had to have Tommy John surgery, we're seeing it more common in in youths in little leaguers, and that that says something. I remember whenever I was playing baseball, and like I had some friends who had learned how to throw a curveball, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and actually in the leagues I played in, uh, except for I think my last year or two years when I was like 12, 13, but up until that point, you weren't allowed to throw curveballs. And the reason, some might think, well, they don't want it to be too hard for the kids to hit. That's actually not the reason. Right. The reason is there are certain throwing motions yeah. like that that if you do them a lot as a as a child before your arm is like yeah. actually thoroughly developed, you can do some serious damage. Yeah. And that was why they kept us from, hey, my dad wouldn't let me throw a curveball. If he saw me trying because, yeah. you know, I thought it was really cool to be able to throw a curveball and my friends knew how to throw one, so I wanted to learn. He would, literally would not let me yeah. try because he didn't want me destroying my arm, hurt my yeah. arm. Um, kids are getting into these programs and, and becoming so invested in them and dedicating so much of their time that literally they're, we're, we're seeing increased in injuries and little years. These are, these are kids ages like 10 to 13. Actually, uh, here, here's what he says about, about the burnout we talked about a second ago, because kids are starting earlier, they're getting better at age 10 and 12 than they've ever been. So like people say, Oh, there's the results, right? We're seeing results, which may be in that window. You can get real excited about that, but he says we also see them start leaving sports at the ages of 12 to 13 because they're burnt out. Yep. Uh, and and besides burnout, he talks about uh, the injuries and, and these tired joints that they have before they even get to college. So this end goal of college scholarship, it's, it's, it's a pipe dream. If you think investing mm-hmm. all of your time and all of your energy – uh, into this thing, over-prioritizing it will result in that way. It won't. It will result either in your kid becoming injured or becoming burnout or other things. I mean, he talks about when they see 
guys in their programs uh, that get to the university level. He said, even think about this. This is something I wouldn't have thought of. He talks about the level of play has decreased. He says, whenever you just come from a, a typical school athletics format where you practice two or three times a week and then have one game a week, he said, you can do that. And, and that one game a week, you take super important. You try really hard because you know, like, this is the one game I play a week. Yeah. But he said what, what they t- they're kind of seeing now is when kids who have come through these club programs get to college, their, their level of play is less intense there because they don't have the same sort of drive to, to win and to perform because they've sort of fallen into this mindset of, well, it's just another game. I mean, there's plenty more games. Like, I play all the time. And therefore, you it, you can sort of lose your competitive edge in that way too, which I wouldn't have even thought about that yeah. as a as a sort of reason not to do club sports too. I think it probably is low on the list, but even still, all of these practical signs are pointing to, hey, club sports might not be all that they're cut out to be. Right. They might not be able to actually deliver on all their promises. Yeah. Um. Here's the thing that he says. And all I would like to encourage anyone hearing this to do is this is one perspective on um, what these programs are actually producing. Um, Because I think it's as simple as this. There have been ideas about what these programs might produce, but what they are certainly producing is a mixture of kids who do learn early and excel early. And maybe some of those kids do carry that on too excelling at a high school level and then on to college. But what is happening as well is a lot of kids are burnt out by 13, don't want to play those sports. I'm imagining um, if you have the old traditional, the relationship between a, a dad and his son, and I've seen this plenty of times in the church as well, the relationship between a dad and his daughter is built around softball and and, and, and built around sports. But then there can be disconnects when, well, I don't want to do this anymore. You know, I'm, 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 I get out in the backyard and throw with you every day. And, and this sort of disconnect that happens when somebody just goes, I don't want to do it. I don't have the heart yeah. for it. I'm not interested in it. Um, but what he says at, at, at Dort University, he says this, quote, the ideal student athlete has played two to three sports in high school and no or very little club sports. Yep. If they do that, they don't have wear and tear on their body and are really just falling in love with their sport more and more as they go through high school. Um, and, and he says, there are mountains of research proving that starting early is more likely to wreck than to jumpstart a professional career or division one scholarship. Um, and that would get us to a good jumping off point to talk about spiritual implications here, because, um, before you even go all the way to the heart, there is prideful competition. And, and frankly, I would say from a Christian standpoint, what you're called to do about prideful competition, and I'm going to define this term, but I'll just say it. What you are called to do about prideful competition is to kill it. Mm-hmm. Um, because prideful competition means I put my worth on the line here. Mm-hmm. This will yeah. prove who I am. If I win this game, if I become the starting quarterback, if I win state, that proves who I am. No, it doesn't. Either you let Jesus Christ define who you are, or you're going to be playing a game where you need then to outsource your identity by proving that you can defeat this sports team. And there's a whole history of people who then go, well, then after that, I go on to college where I kind of play, but I also get a business degree. And then I go into the corporate world and I conquer because I'm the kind of person 
who defeats competitors. Mm-hmm. Prideful competition, you are called, whether everybody knew this or not, in the scriptures, to die to that because pride is not just a sin, it is the great sin. It is the sin that leads to all the other sins. And if you are basing your identity on it, then you are not basing your identity on knowing Jesus Christ who can provide you freedom from your sins and new life in him. And, and ultimately, if you want to define yourself, you're saying to God, I don't want you to define me. Yeah. There is friendly competition. And all I can say to anyone who might go, you know, like, no, look, my background is high school sports only. That just sounds weird to me. Uh, look, if you haven't played uh, out in a driveway with four or five friends, uh, a game of 21 to where this is not prideful competition. (laughs) This is you enjoying the fact that we're all out here enjoying each other first, this game second. Um, And it's about, it is about still seeing what happens and what we're capable of. But the end goal is that everybody can win, that we can enjoy it and that it can be genuine fellowship that we share each other's joys and struggles, you know? Yeah. And with all of that ribbing that comes to when you just like, boy, uh, took that wild shot out from the edge there and, uh, <laughs> boy, you didn't hit anything, did you? Yeah. And, yeah. and then just being able to laugh at yourself because it is a whole different world. And anybody who's ever been involved in competition knows that what's hard about your heart, what's difficult about your heart is that you can go from living in the right mindset of friendly competition to a prideful Yeah. Uh, mindset in a moment but still yet that's one of the reasons why again i'll quote the same scripture we quoted in the last that physical training is of some value because in those moments it is a real test did you maintain christian character or were you just trying to prove you know who you were um and and i i wanted to to bring that up because um i do think it's a big blind spot um, that we that we have that that a lot of people don't know the difference between prideful competition and um, what I would call genuine competition, good competition. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, um, and 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 I want to add another story. Like Michael Phelps now, uh, who obviously famous Olympic level swimmer, he now runs a nonprofit because he's had a, an experience that. Uh, is not so interesting for news outlets to share. And that is, what do you do when the whole world is interested in your every move and the whole world comes and celebrates you and then you ride that wave, but then that wave ends and pretty much the only news stories you can manage to pick up are Michael Phelps is on another alcohol bender and he's totally fallen Mm-hmm. And that that's the only news story that they're interested in running about you anymore. Mm-hmm. And he runs a nonprofit to say there is life after competitive sports. Yeah. And I don't quite know where he is in terms of his spiritual life, but the arc of his life is um, God has taught him. You should not put your entire worth in competitive achievement, no matter how good you are at it. It will fail you. It will mm-hmm. leave you. And all the people who were cheering for you, somehow, many of them are just as happy to see you fallen. Mm. Because, yeah, there is jealousy and there, and there is a whole mess of what goes on there. Mm-hmm. Um, but that element of it is present in the background of, of this story as well. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, I think um, you're, you're making a really good point that has to be said. And it's a, it's a story not just uh, true of Michael Phelps with the reason he runs a non-for-profit is because it's one you see over and over again. It's it's why you look at somebody, even like a Michael Jordan, who uh, life asked after basketball 
doesn't really seem to be life at all to him. Yeah. You know, where whereas you can become so consumed with athletics, athletics and find your identity so much there that you know you mentioned like <clears throat> playing in, in the backyard in a driveway at the your church gym with your friends, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you said I think something along the lines of of where you can all win. Well, there are still winners and losers. That's right. We do still have a legit game where we don't give out participation trophies uh, in that sense, but. It is an atmosphere in which when you lose, your identity is not lost. That's you right. are not crushed because right. you are not identifying yourself. You don't find your identity. You don't figure out who you are via this game. Yep. It doesn't define you. And that's the problem. And that's where it, and one way in which it, it becomes idolatrous is finding your identity in it and defining yourself by it, which is a recipe for depression. It's a recipe for despair. It's a recipe for, or if not that, you know, if you should become the one you mentioned that that same sort of uh, identity found in competition consumes you to make you become maybe even very successful in business. Uh, you're certainly not going to be the kind of people, person that people want to be around and you're still going to end up in despair and, and depression. Yep. Um, and so that's an important thing to note. You end up like, it makes me think of Uncle Rico, uh, on Napoleon Dynamite. You ever seen Napoleon Dynamite? I certainly have. Uncle Rico, he's always going on. Man, I'll tell you what, coach would put me in fourth quarter. We'd have won state. I'd, I'd have gone pro. You know, saying all this uh, stuff. I bet I could chuck a pigskin over them mountains. You know? Uh, it's this guy, this idea of someone who, they're, they, I mean, they had so much wrapped up in who they were as an athlete. Or whatever the case might be. We're talking specifically about athletics, but there's other areas, mm-hmm. other avenues that this can come out. Idolatries. I mean, we are uh, we're idol machines. I think yeah, Martin yeah. Luther says um, we we can so easily produce idols for ourselves. But um, but here in this case particularly, we we see it. I think in a very public way because of the nature of sports and things like that. Club sports promises these things, but it can't deliver on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can't deliver on what they promise. But even if they could, even if if you committed all of the the money necessary, all of the time necessary, if it ruled your world from uh, from third grade through through high school as a as a parent or as an athlete, uh, it's still in the end. I think you will find uh, that it is a lot of time. Um, some would say invested. I would say to a certain degree wasted um, for fleeting things. Because even the best case scenario, you have a a short-lived professional career, and all professional careers are short-lived. I mean, there really aren't any long professional athletic careers, um, not in the in the grand scheme of life. Uh, and then it, it might come a little later, but at a certain point, the the questions are still going to come. Hey, was all this worth it? Yeah. Uh, what did it produce? What did it What did it mean? Yeah. And if your identity is found in those things, you're going to be let down. And so, yeah, th- this does really get at the heart of the spiritual issue too. And he's writing to parents. He, he's talking about why we pulled our kids out of club sports. And I think encouraging parents to think through this as well. And, and here's what he says. He says, sports and athletics are part of God's creation. Like anything on this side of heaven, they can be used to really promote and glorify God who made our bodies. And they can also become a wonderful platform from which to share the gospel. And he's writing all these things. Mm-hmm. And this is what he's encouraging here is to take athletics, sports, and to view them in their proper context and for the purpose of glorifying the Lord. But he says, but sports can also become an idol. When our love for and pursuit of athletic achievement becomes greater than our love of God, His church, and the families He's given us, we start to make wrong choices about how to spend our time, energy, and money. And I think this is where it really 
it really comes down to and the question of whether or not we idolize sports. And I think a lot of people can think, hey, I'm not idolizing this sport. Sure, it's taking up all of my time and energy and money, but I still love God more, right? I still love God more than these things. But the question has to be like, well, then what does it mean to love God? Is it is this just a category in your mind that you've convinced yourself you're in? Or if you were to survey reality, how, what is the example? What is the display of that? Right. Uh, and if people were to survey your life and say, well, you spend about 20 hours a week involved in athletic things for, for your children, whereas you only spend about mm, an hour and a half a week committed to spiritual things. You can say all day long, but I still, in my mind, in my heart, I still love God more than those things. But you're deceiving yourself if that's the case. That's a lie. Yeah, the you, whole you, book of James is coming into my mind just mm-hmm. about, look, you, you uh, show me your faith without works, I'll show you my faith by what I do. You, your your works show what you trust in. I mean, you're, you, so where you spend your time and how you spend your output shows what things you find valuable, what things are important to you, mm-hmm. really. And um, our life happens in seasons, so this stuff can be difficult to judge, but I, I want to go ahead and point to a few things about burnout that can be hard to judge in teenagers because, one, I think the easiest way to tell when you're burnt out on something is you just don't want to do it. And we know that teenagers, their their hearts, their affections are just all over the place and that it's hard sometimes to get a direct answer whether or not they do want to do something, but it's still a valid question. But then the second thing is, if you're seeing like chronic fatigue or regular exhaustion, that is a sign of burnout. And if you say, well, yeah, but with teenagers, they're always tired. Yeah, they are. But then that, that means definitely this idea of rest, that there should be a day that you have set aside where you go, look, you're in a period of your life that is very trying. So we should have a day every week where we just go, if you haven't rested, because you probably haven't, depending then we we need to have that set aside. And if the schedule that you're involved in says, oh, sorry, this is a year or even a six-month period or even some of these are four-year periods, we just don't, we're not going to have a set-aside rest time for this one-year period. That's not that's not good enough. No. And, and yes, and having worked with teenagers for a lot of years, yes, when your body is turning into an adult body, that is exhausting. And they need to be able to have definite periods of rest. Okay, but all this, you only have this opportunity once and it, and it moves by so quick. This is true. It's all true. But this is one of the reasons why God gives young people parents who are not having their bodies change and who can say, you know what, I see that you're not resting and I see that strangely uh, you you really are tired and that you don't have a desire for this. But... um another another sign of burnout is just general spiritual fatigue lack of desire to do anything and that is a later sign of burnout but if you think that can't happen to teenagers oh you're wrong a teenage uh, being a teenager is one of the most emotionally exhausting times of your life and anyone who hasn't blocked it out still remembers that um, and so you got to watch out for these sorts of things because this can happen. And what parents need to be doing is helping kids to walk this path and not sort of blindly saying, 
oh, well, you're young, you'll have more energy, it'll all work out. I know we got to walk more carefully than that. Yep, that's exactly right. That gets to, just to sort of wrap things up, someone might be listening to us and thinking, well, well, shoot, then what do I do? Like, are you saying no sports? Uh, you know, what? What do, I, what do I take this and what do I do with it? I want my kids to be active. I want my kids to be involved in things. Those are all good desires. Those are all good things. We should want our kids to be involved. We should want our kids to be active. Because in this article, he does make the point that at the same time that he's sort of giving some critique and criticizing club sports, he also acknowledges, hey, guess what? The, the danger on the other side, on the other side of too much organized sports, the danger is inactivity. Uh, he says, over the, seri- over the years, we've seen an increase in screen time correlated yep. with uh, a decrease in organic recreational play, and not just for kids, but for adults also. Yeah. And, and here, here uh, he says it, participation is down for adult sports leagues from flag football to basketball to softball. And, I mean, I don't have to mention to you the, the fact that uh, even like church recreation leagues, uh, as sad as it is, because I love them. Uh, but I'm a part of the problem. I, uh, my involvement in those things has certainly uh, not <laughs> not helped the uh, the leagues at all. But uh, but our local association, you know, it, it's a struggle to get yep. teams together to play. Right. And um, you know, I'm not trying to be a doomsday person or say that. Well, if you can't have a rec league, then what are you doing as an association or anything like that? I know there are some out there that would say that, not me. But they, uh, but it is, I think, sad to see these forms of of recreation and, and sports and athletics sort of becoming harder. But but here's what he says. Um, he says, I'm a proponent of the kind of organic grassroots, grassroots athletics. I said, I hope that's not a bygone era where kids can generate and schedule activity on their own by going to a park or a playground and play. Yep. I think this is good. He says, he says I encourage student athletes uh, to play multiple sports, and but at the same time, to make sure that they have an off season so that they can enjoy play overall. Right. Um, and, and he just concludes with a few other things. I'm going to read just a little bit more from him and then I'll give you a, a few last words. He says, uh, he says, also make sure your child doesn't specialize too early and takes regular substantial breaks from organized play. Check in regularly to make sure your child still wants to play. If not look for other sports or other physical activities that he or she can get involved with. He says, I was a basketball player, but one of my kids turned out to be a golfer and another is a runner. Do your research and pray before you make the decisions. Think about what is important to your family and for the overall health and well-being of your child. Um, I think these are all really helpful insights yeah. that will, A, help to prevent sports and athletics from becoming an idol. Uh, but I think also... Um, it gives parents maybe a little bit of guidance and help going forward so that <clears throat> sports, athletics, and these things don't go the way of the dodo either and that our kids are engaging in these things, which I'm going to go on the record now and say I think are really good and healthy things. Mm-hmm. I think sports are an extremely valuable way of learning discipline, of learning motor skills, of of developing um, even character and things like that. It's a, it's a great avenue for all of those things if it's allowed to be and if it's used properly. Uh, it can also foster pride, unhealthy aggression. It can foster all kinds of negative things, uh, and it can become an idol. But there are a lot of benefits too. And so the answer is, as I'm thankful that uh, that he's not, that Ross Doma is not 
putting out there is that, hey, just be done with athletics altogether. But he's saying, let's put it in its proper context. Let's understand it rightly. Let's use it for the glory of God. Yeah. You have anything else to add? Um, just that we do this as uh, societies where you can look back and you can go, wow, eras happen because uh, influential programs come about and then everybody is sort of doing the same thing. And uh, I've read enough. There's a book that I recommend um, by Lenore Skenazy called Free Range Kids. And it's just about something that to many people will sound what do you mean we have to encourage that? That's happening all over the place. It's like, oh, not necessarily. and Because all a free-range kid means is some of the stuff you were just talking about. Let kids have time in their lives where they go out back, and then the neighbor kids come over, and then they just find something to do together. Yep. And what we've ended up in a lot of cases is kids spend their entire childhood going from organized game to organized game and that they are unable to structure unstructured time. They, they, one of the theories about the problems that are happening on college campuses is these kids have had structures placed on them their entire life. And when someone says something at a college that they don't like, they just say, well, I'm going to need somebody to straighten you out because I don't deal with stuff like this. And um, kids need to be able to go in the backyard or, be in an, in the neighborhood and have an argument and sort it out themselves and not always have to have someone to sort it out for them. Mm -hmm. But also kids need to be able to figure out themselves how to structure their own time and how to make relationships with other people, how to have the give and take of, well, this is a game we play every day, but I don't really like it. Do you want to try a game that I like today and then see how that goes? Um, and so that that's what this book is about. And it's very believable to me that especially in some corners, I know enough people that I, I have friends who are in this situation to where they do go from club sport Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And, 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 and I have people in my family who do this. Um, and it, and it literally, Baseball season leads right into basketball season, which leads right into soccer season, which leads right into summertime, you know, travel leagues. Mm -hmm. This is, there are layers to this. Oh, yeah. And so we're going to, there, there's going to be a, a lot of different levels of familiarity that people are going to uh, hear this, but these are the basic issues that you need to consider with it. And it's already um, quite far reaching. Yeah. And so we want to be wise about this. You know, club sports are an opportunity, but an opportunity for what? And uh, so we want to we want to think wisely about it. That's right. <clears throat> I will say also, as a pastor, I'll move into that mode now. Uh, my final plug: if this is a definitive statement, if sports, athletics, these things get to the point that you are sacrificing uh, the gathering of the of the church together for worship on Sunday morning, you have gone too far, at least in that one area. Yeah, so, at the very least, if if you do need a hard line in the sand, I'm going to go ahead and tell you as a Christian, that should be it. Uh, you should never be sacrificing corporate worship for the purpose of sports. So agree. Um, all the rest of what we have said, you can take part of it, leave part of it, disagree, agree. We don't care. That's fine. But uh, I think we stand on pretty solid ground there and in agreement with one another uh, on that. Agreed? Agreed. Agreed. Awesome. Well, this has been Empires of the Future. And we'll see you in the future.